0: We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hey, Las Vegas, what's up? Great to have you with us again today Thanks for being here. We're broadcasting live from Liberty Baptist Church. Like the man said, you can join us Sunday mornings, 9.30 and 11.15, 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard is our address. We'd love to have you and your family join us. If you can't be here in person, you can stream us online by visiting our website at experienceliberty.com. right. so the president following his comments, well, he didn't make the comments, He, he quote tweeted Wayne Allen Root saying, um, Things that Wayne Allen should have been saying in my opinion and uh, I think that's a biblical opinion I don't think it also should have been quote tweeted either or probably tweeted at all but I went into all of that in-depth yesterday so I'm not gonna rehash it but then asked um, asked more yesterday he followed up the tweets <sighs> By saying, in my opinion, if you vote for a Democrat, you're being very disloyal to Jewish people and you're being very disloyal to Israel. Now, we can argue the merits of that, but I kind of wish he would have just started with that one and left out the whole tweeting about being uh, equivalent to the king of Israel and second coming of God. Like, that's just not... and he also said, I am the chosen one, and it was just... it it was not a good day, in my opinion. But again, that's my opinion, and I I, I will never understand though, people that are <laughs> act like this sort of thing is is shocking or surprising. Like it's it's really not. If you if you understand the history of of who we elected to office, this shouldn't be something that is surprising necessarily. <sighs> But there are some things that the ruler of the free world should not say or do, and I I think we saw that yesterday, and unfortunately, it's being doubled down on. But if you could have just started with what you wanted to say instead of what you did, like he's he's clearly frustrated with the fact that he, Amer- the American uh, Jewish population is not viewing him as favorably as, say, the Israeli uh, Jewish population. I'm guessing that might be fed somewhat by uh, Kushner and uh, and his family ties, so he gets an, an inner look at this thing. But, you know, Sheldon Adelson, huge supporter here in Vegas. Um, but it, it, clearly this is something that is a frustration to him, but there are other ways that we can express our frustration. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rehash it all. I talked about it yesterday. Uh what I do wanna mention from the president is that uh who though he said he was considering uh taxes to promote economic growth, he's now saying no tax cuts because we have a strong economy already. Um There has been a debate recently, which you've probably heard, about whether we are heading for a slowdown economically if a recession is around the corner, what's going to happen with interest rates, what's going to happen with the budget, what's going to happen with national debt, all this stuff. So earlier this week, the president acknowledged that uh, his China trade policies may result in uh, some economic um, unpleasantry for Americans, if you will, but of course continues to believe that his tariffs are needed in, in the long run for the good of all. Okay? Uh, so he was considering cutting taxes as, as a result of the Chinese trade policy potentially being difficult. Then today... Uh, Earlier this morning, he said, I'm not, he told reporters outside the White House, I'm not looking at a tax cut now. We don't need it. We have a strong economy. He was also asked about the idea of indexing the capital gains tax. Um, And he said, it will be perceived if I do it as somewhat elitist. Huh. don't i don't even know <laughs> how to make a comment on that um Trump indicated also that he had no choice but to impose the trade penalties on China. He said somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one, he said as he looked skyward, somebody had to do it, so I'm taking on China. I'm taking on China on trade. <sighs> Just don't say that you're the chosen one the day after you tweeted, quote tweeted, Wayne Allen Root saying you are like the king of Israel, the second coming of God. It's just the, the, oh, I could rehash this all again, but I, I don't think I will. I just think there has got to come a point, and as Christians, and we could talk about, you know, expecting baby Christians to act as grown Christians or non-Christians to act as Christians or have understanding of biblical things or just the fact the president may not even know what he was tweeting, but despite all of that, we do know that there are good Christian men and women, including the vice president, that surround this man uh, that have access to him that hopefully will speak into this situation because, you know, there and i've seen some people that are like oh so christians this is the line that you're going to draw he's fine if he does all this other stuff but now this is the line that you're going to draw and my answer to that is yeah this is the line we're going to draw because when you're essentially comparing yourself to god and equating yourself with god and equating yourself with jesus this is the line that we draw that's i don't i don't understand how that could even be a debate and i'm grateful for those that have stood up and said you know what this is not acceptable especially those uh within christendom because it's it's not acceptable it's we can talk about the past we can talk about forgiveness we can talk about mistakes but there comes a point where nope Nope, you have to be willing to say, though I respect the office, though I respect uh, that God is working through this man, I do not agree with... and then fill in the blank. And I think the point at which at least we as Christians should be able to agree that this would be the point of fill in the blank would be when a president uh, says that they are the chosen one as they look to heaven and or... Quote tweets someone saying that they are the second coming of God, equivalent with the King of Israel. To me, it's just a no-brainer that that is where a, a line has to be drawn. I'm not saying we don't respect the office. I'm not saying that the president hasn't done great things for our country. He has done many wonderful things for our country. And I'm not saying, on the flip side, that there haven't been other things in his past that, yeah, we should point out and we should say we don't agree with that. Just like we would with any other president. But at the fact that there's even a conversation about this one, that some people are, are justifying and defending this, it's the, it's the wrong hill to die on, guys. You, you don't need to defend this one. We could say maybe he didn't understand, maybe he doesn't know. Okay, that's fine. But just don't defend it. Because that's a really, really bad look for someone that claims that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to then be like, yeah, but it's really okay if President Trump says this, that he's the chosen one, second coming of God, King of Israel. No. No. It's not okay. It's not okay. Okay, but I said I'm not going to rehash it. I'm not going to. I went into in-depth on this yesterday morning, in uh, yesterday morning's program, so I'm going to leave this one go, but just... Yeah, it might be good to have a conversation. This is a good conversation starter with your kids. You might even want to talk about, well, no, some people are going to get mad if I say that, but, uh, you know, there's there's going to come a time, you know, we can argue that, that this president maybe doesn't understand or, or doesn't comprehend or doesn't have the, the knowledge or the, the spiritual understanding to know even what he's saying. We can We can have that conversation, and I think that's a fair conversation to have but that there are good people around him that should be able to explain to him that hey you know we we these are things that we don't uh, that we don't believe and that we don't say as christians if he is in fact a believer and if he's not then well we can't expect any more but I, anyway might be an opportune time for you to have a conversation with your family say look there's going to come a point where there's going to be someone on the world stage that's not only going to say these things but is going to believe these things and Much of the world, the vast majority of the world, is going to believe him also. And don't be drawn away when that time comes. It's going to mean persecution. It's going to mean... But don't be drawn away when that time comes, if we're still here. That's another debate for another time, which I'm not going to get into today because I don't have time. So we're going to move on to Andrew Yang and the Yang Gang. Andrew Yang is one of the many candidates running for president on the Democrat side of the ballot. He has officially made 3% in a recent poll (laughs) following just Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, and then him with his 3%. Which means, folks, that Andrew Yang is... Surging. Sounds crazy to be surging at 3%, but at 3%, he becomes now one of just 10 candidates, just 10 candidates, who have qualified through their polling and fundraising requirements set forward by the Democratic National Committee for them to participate in this fall's third and fourth debates. Yang's 44 years old, an entrepreneur from New York, a father of two young sons. He's never run for any kind of office before this. He's the guy running on the We'll Give Every American Adult 1000 bucks a Month. Don't know where that's coming. And he has a pretty dystopian view of the future in general. If you don't know Andrew Yang... You may get to know him much better super soon. And I gotta tell you, When you are promising every American adult a thousand dollars a month just because well you know that sounds really good. Would I like it if somebody gave me a thousand dollars a month just because I'm an American adult? I surely would. My question is, how much am I going to have to pay in taxes every year to be able to get that $1,000 a month? I feel, in my heart, that I'm going to be paying more in taxes than I'm going to be getting back. You think you're going to pay $12,000 in taxes? If you knew how much I pay in taxes right now, (laughs) Oh, being considered self-employed is no picnic when it comes to tax season, okay? And then when you have no child deductions, trust me, it gets steep real fast. So yeah, I do. Knowing my tax bill now, and then considering that he wants to give every American $1,000 a month, I guarantee you I'd be paying more than $12,000 a year in taxes. Easy. And you might be surprised at what it would do to your tax burden as well. Because let's think about that. How many how many adults live in America? Anybody got any guesses? Any guesses? Any guesses? 329 million people living in the US. Of that percentage, more than or of that percentage, of that number, more than 75% are over the age of 18. So well over 200 uh, million people over the age of 18 in this country. So you're going to take 200 million people and you're going to give them each a $1,000 a month. That is $200 billion every month. If we're printing that money, your money no longer has value. If we're not printing that money, your taxes just skyrocketed. Now, 200 billion every month for 12 months. I don't even I don't even know how to I would have to get a, a calculator. I can't I can't do that. Well, it would be what Twenty four something. It's gotta be trillions or higher. I don't even know. <laughs> like that's a ton of money. Do you know what that would do to our budget? Like you think the budget and the deficit is bad now? And this is this is my response to just everybody that's like, Andrew Yang is awesome. Yang hashtag Yang Gang. Okay, but Where's the $1,000 that the 200 billion Americans are going to get every month? Where is that coming from? It doesn't work. It will never work. <sighs> Sometimes I just get frustrated with these things. Remember the woman of the dark psychic force? <laughs> the lady that said that Trump had conjured up a dark psychic psychic force through his presidential... Uh, governing? Well, she is back and she has launched a new plan on her website, Marianne2020.com Marianne wants to create the U.S. Department of Peace as an official federal agency. According to her website, This is the release. Marianne Williamson, as president, will work with the Congress to create a cabinet level U.S. Department of Peace. Ending the surge of violence in the United States and across the planet requires more than suppressing violence. Lasting peace requires its active and systemized cultivation at every level of government and society. The U.S. Department of Peace will coordinate and spur the efforts we need to make our country and the world a safer place. Nothing short of broad scale investment and government reorientation can truly turn things around if that doesn't just scare you to death. Both domestically and internationally, we must dramatically ramp up the use of proven powers of peace building, including dialogue, meditation, conflict resolution, economic and social development, restorative justice, public health approaches to violence prevention, trauma informed systems of care, social and immer- emotional learning in schools, among many others. I believe our country's way of dealing with security issues is increasingly obsolete. We have the finest military force in the world, however, we can no longer rely on force alone to rid ourselves of international enemies. The planet has become too small for that, and in so doing we overburden our military by asking them to compensate for the other work that we choose not to do. We are less effective and less secure because of those choices, said Williamson. At its mission, the US Department of Peace will hold peace as an organizing principle, promote justice and democratic principles to expand human rights, coordinate restorative justice programs, address white supremacy, strengthen non-military means of peacemaking, work to prevent armed conflict, address the epidemic of gun violence, develop new structures of nonviolent dispute resolution, and proactively and systematically promote national and international conflict prevention meditation and resolution. In short, we must wage peace. Right. Because if we just walk into a Taliban cave holding a white flag and tell them that we just want to have we just want to have a conversation because the world has become too small for us to continue waging war, that's gonna go well. In short what this woman wants is the the, the, <laughs> the joke of, of uh miscongeniality. World peace. My dream is world peace. I'd have to say April 15th. It's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. Say ending petrol refinery plants, but also world peace. Okay. Essentially... Marianne Williamson believes that if she creates a U.S. Department of Peace, her new government agency, because by the way, government agencies do such a fantastic job with everything that is tasked to them, right? I'm not saying I don't appreciate our government services. I do. But generally speaking, the private sector does pretty much everything better than our government does. Except, you know, our military. But another, again. Moving on. Her new government agency is going to achieve... That age-old dream of world peace. Through conversation, not confrontation. I I believe in conversation, not confrontation, when it comes to individuals and personal level. But world peace is not going to be achieved by us just sitting down with somebody who's holding a machine gun, plowing down. Like, what what do you think is going it, it to work? This is not going to solve every problem, not only in the U.S., but around the world, by simply talking through the problems. Which, by the way, include white supremacy, which she has led public apology, like, prayer things for. But not prayer. Like, it's, it's, it's very strange. Like, if you want to see something really strange, just Google Marianne Williamson uh, public apology for whiteness and watch what she leads people in. It's, it's just weird. And this is her thing. This is what is going to solve all the world's problems, is Marianne Williamson's Department of Peace. Government agency... To address all of the social ills, not only in the United States, but around the world. And this is this is what the answer is, apparently. Not world hunger, that's not the big issue in the world. Not suppression of women's rights in the Middle East, not religious persecution in Southeast Asia or China. Oh, by China, we got to talk about China in a second. But, no, no. All we need is the United States will have a Department of Peace. And through our Department of Peace, we will achieve world peace. Because that's all we need we've never known before that if we just sat down had a conversation apologized for something we never did that everything would be better and happy and wonderful not just here but all around the world nope not gonna work <sighs> But China, let's let's talk about China quick here for a minute, and then we'll uh, and then we'll take a break, and then I'm going to completely shift gears. But so China, China has created a social credit scoring system. You've probably heard about this. But China's social credit scoring system right now is preventing over uh, two and a half million people from purchasing plane tickets. They're considered discredited entities. I'm sorry, that was in the month of July alone. So in July, 2.5 million Chinese were not able to purchase plane tickets. 90,000 people were not able to purchase high-speed train tickets. And that's just in July. It was reported by the Global Times, which is a Chinese government mouthpiece. So this isn't even something that... (laughs) This isn't like there's some undercover dangerous work going on, so we are bringing the truth of China to the masses. No, 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 no. the chinese media the state approved media tweeted out quote china restricted 2.56 million discredited entities from purchasing plane tickets and 90,000 entities from buying high-speed rail tickets in july hashtag social credit as if this is something that they are proud of so how do you get how do you get bad social credit in china Anyways, uh, bad driving, poor driving skills. If you smoke on a train, if you buy too many video games, but there's not necessarily specified how many is too many, just when the government thinks you bought too many. Buying too much junk food. Again, what classifies as junk food? Well, today it may be this, tomorrow it could be something else. Uh, if you call a friend of yours who bought too many video games and has a low credit score, that lowers your credit score. If you have a friend online or even interact with someone online who has a low credit score, no, you didn't do anything wrong, but your friend did something wrong, now you have a low credit score, too. If you post what the government considers, quote, fake news, unquote, online, this will lower your credit score. If you criticize the government, your credit score is plummeting. If you visit an unauthorized website, the government decides what you may see, what you may do at all times. If you do not comply, your social credit score diminishes. If you dare to walk your dog without a leash, or let your dog bark too much, your social credit score drops. Hmm. 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 Imagine this would be similar to in our country. If you walked into a grocery store, swipe your credit card, And your payment is declined because someone sitting in a cubicle somewhere believes that you posted something hateful on the internet. Or because somebody said that your dog barked too much yesterday. So you're no longer allowed to live your life as you usually would. Mm, I'm sorry. You're not allowed to be a person today because, you know what? Yesterday you mentioned that you didn't approve... Of such and such that the president said. Sorry, you're no longer allowed to travel at all until you rebuild your social credit score. That is scary. <sighs> the penalties, though, are part of President Xi, Xi Jinping's government to use data processing and other technology including facial recognition that the the Chinese are using to tighten their control on society as a whole. Mike, Vice President Mike Pence last year denounced it as an Orwellian system premised on controlling virtually every facet of human life and he's exactly right. Offenses punished last year included false advertising, walking dog without a leash we already went over these things some Chinese companies that are utilized by the government have been tracking the movements of 2.5 million people in one Chinese province alone they use police checkpoints security cameras to record location data they specifically target Muslims and Christians and other minorities this is a known fact the government (laughs) it's a known fact that China does this And then you have, and I, I talked about this in last week's program. And then you have Hong Kong uh, residents of Hong Kong rioting in the streets, waving the American flag, singing our national anthem, because guess the it all comes down to the fact that they don't want to be China. They don't want to live under the suppressive system which the Chinese people are subjected to every day. And I did a whole, I did a whole hour. Almost on Hong Kong and what's happening there with the whole Hong Kong China thing last week. You can go, iTunes, SoundCloud, just search for the Fertile Show. You'll see it. It's the the last podcast that I posted. It's on Hong Kong. You can look look at it there, and I talk in depth about China's human rights violations and why Hong Kong uh, Hong Kongers, as they call themselves, do not want to be Chinese, and what is their bastion of hope? It's the American flag. It's our national anthem. We as much as we can sit here and uh, or drive or do whatever it is that we do here in our freedom and complain about whatever we want to complain about. Protest about whatever we want to protest about. Pretty much do whatever we want. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. And then we complain about how our, we complain about our government or our Police officers, or whatever else, and then, but if you compare it, well, we live in to what's happening in places like China. It suddenly doesn't seem so bad here anymore, does it? No, it's, it's, we are we are the beacon of hope for the world. There are so many people living on this planet that wish they could live under a government system such as we have. Faulty as it may be, fail as it might, this is still the last great hope for the earth, for mankind. It's freedom. And it's freedom based on the biblical principles that our founders put in place years ago in their wisdom. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to completely change gears talk about something nice and personal for me (laughs) and uh and no more no more news for today we're gonna we're gonna leave the news behind and move on so don't go away coming up uh this is Stephen curtis chapman with tis so sweet to trust in jesus we'll be back in just a few moments this is kbxl 101.1 fm experience liberty radio from liberty baptist church in las vegas You know, it's ironic. I know I said we were going to leave politics behind, but uh, (laughs) a journalist went into a Walmart trying to uh, purchase a firearm to prove how easy and dangerous it is buying guns at Walmart. And twice, when they're twice to buy it, And twice was not able to purchase it because of her background checks and not having the right ID. It's just kind of ironic. And, and she reported (laughs) that she was surprised to find that the guns at Walmart were locked and secured in a case. Like, they weren't just, like, she could walk in and buy them. They weren't, you know, sitting over by the Doritos or out by the baseball mitts and helmets. No, they were locked in a case, you guys. You can go and read it. Just just Google, I tried to buy a gun at Walmart. It's not, okay... I said we were going to move on. So we're going to move on. I'm going to tell you a story about uh, what's been going on in my world the past week, almost week now, and how uh, and a couple things that I've learned from it just because I, I I feel that this will be more productive for our time together than continuing to hash through what's happening in the world of politics today. I know that on Thursdays I usually just do all politics, but I've I've changed my mind for today. So I'm going to tell you about my puppy. My puppy's name is Pepper. She's 14 weeks old and she is stinking adorable. Possibly the sweetest dog I own. She's just so gentle and so sweet and such a good girl. Um she uh she <laughs> she hates her leash though. We're still learning how to walk on a leash. She actually she's not she's getting to be okay with her normal leash, but so we have different leashes that we use for different things and her her training Uh, leash for showing Uh, she just she she hates that leash so when you do uh, when you show dogs in confirmation with the AKC you don't use a regular clip collar so you know like the collar that most dogs would have that would be thicker um, and has like that I don't even know what you call it just like a clip you know you snap the the clip together and then you hang their ID license whatever else you know if you have the the microchip information, you hang all those little tags, the dog tags on their collar. So you don't use a collar like that in confirmation. It's, it's ugly. You want them to, the idea is you're showing off how beautiful the dog is. And so you did you, confirmation dogs. A lot of times, if you go over to somebody's house uh, and they have what look like nice looking dogs and they're not wearing collars, ask them if they're confirmation dogs because a lot of times they are. So a lot of times, confirmation dogs won't wear the traditional collars at home because that can mat down the fur around uh, around their neck and you want their hair to be all flowy and pretty so that when you show them it's flowing and pretty so when you show uh your dog that would be of this nature you don't show them with this kind of traditional collar so the funny thing about pepper is she's okay like with the traditional collar and leash she's she's pretty good at that kind of walking but when you take her and you put her in so you use a you use a choker chain uh, collar for uh, for the showing just because it's it's lighter uh, it blends in better it's not about choking it has absolutely nothing to do with that it's that it's thinner and it doesn't get in the way and you're able to direct their head more more correctly than you would be able to with a with a regular collar so there's a variety of reasons but so you use a you use a choker collar and so I <laughs> when I put this collar on her and I mean it barely exists and you don't like pull on or anything. We're just we're just getting used to. Like she's only fourteen weeks. We're just doing basic stuff. But as, as soon as you just put it on her head, like you don't do, any, you don't even attach the leash to it. She just is like, no, nope. You know I hate this collar. I, mm-mm. I'm just gonna sit here. Like you can get her favorite toy and squeak it. You can get food, and she just once you put that collar on her, she sits her little self down. She's such a stubborn little thing. Like, she's the sweetest puppy, but my goodness. You put, you put on the training collar and she just turns into a different dog. She's like, no, I will not. Anyway, my sweet little pepper. She's so cute. On, a, on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, I guess it was, I don't remember what I was doing on Friday. But I got home from work, you know, we're we're out in the back. The dogs are running around, having a good time. Swimming in the pool, cleaning up, doing whatever, and uh, and Pepper went trotting by me, and I was like, "Man, Pepper's head is just looks so different than Liberty and Belle's heads ever did." Like, I, I hope it doesn't look weird as she gets older, because it was just it had like a weird look to it, you know. And she's in the process of going through a major growth spurt, so I was like, "Man, her head is growing so strangely." And then, um, you know, went about our day, had dinner, and that night. She was just chilling out by the pool. It's so adorable. She swims, and then after she gets out of the pool, she uh, her favorite place is the lounge chair. Like, literally, the dog swims and goes and sunbathes on the lounge chair. It's hilarious. 14-week-old puppy does this. None of my other dogs do this. Just the, just the puppy. <laughs> so she's, she's sitting there on the lounge chair, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, her head is bigger than it was earlier. Like, it's growing. What in the world? And so I walked over there. And discovered that my little Pepper, her head was like massively swollen across the top and the back of her neck was swollen. And uh, I wasn't overly concerned, honestly. My dogs get stung by bees pretty much every summer and their head, their face swells up like you wouldn't believe. And you just... you. You have to know what you're doing and have dealt with it before. But because I've had so many bee stings, I know the dosage of of Benadryl to give dogs. So you give them Benadryl and after, you know, 24 hours, uh, it goes away pretty much. Sometimes it takes a little longer depending on the severity of the reaction and the dog and different things. But so, they give Pepper Benadryl. I'm like, poor baby, she's going to feel better in the morning. And it usually takes at least two Benadryls, sometimes three Benadryls before you start seeing the, the difference. Three doses, I mean. Uh, You can't just, you got to know the weights and stuff. Don't just go giving your dog Benadryl. Okay, confer with your vet, find out, and then you'll know. So the next morning, uh, get up, it's worse. It's not necessarily abnormal. A lot of times the swelling from bee sting gets worse before it gets better. So I give her another Benadryl uh, dose. I go to work. I come back from work. She's already gotten the Benadryl a couple hours before based on our time schedule. It's still worse. Now, it shouldn't still be getting worse after three rounds of Benadryl. So I called her vet. I was like, hey, I think Pepper got stung by a bee. Uh, we've been giving her Benadryl, but it's getting worse. I'm not sure what's going on. So I like, all right. So we went took Pepper in for an emergency possible allergic reaction visit. Uh, the vet comes in. He was like, hmm. Like this, I'm not sure this He's like, I don't think this is an allergic reaction. And then my heart just like sunk because if that's not an allergic reaction, why is my puppy's head like she looked like an alien, guys? Like her head, uh, you know, the, the alien skulls on the really weird new Indiana Jones that are like massively long in the back. That's what her head like looked like. It was like a massive, long thing on top of her head, and uh, and it made her head her like her face just looked elongated like that. And he was like, is there any possibility that she could have maybe hit her head on on something? And on the inside I kind of chuckled, like, I'm I'm worried to death now. Because, you know, it's not a bee sting, so it's something else, and what could it possibly be? And he's like, is it possible she could have hit her head on something? I was like, it's more than possible, it's extremely likely. I'm pretty sure she hits her head on stuff every single day because she runs around like a crazy woman because she's a puppy! So i was like oh yeah it's definitely possible and he was like oh it's a hematoma this is all fluid in here and then he went on to explain what a hematoma is how it happens on a dog right there on that part of their head that's not uncommon but depending on what the fluid looks like and the fluid's temperature and different things that can tell them you know how severe the injury is um, and different different items of that nature so it turned out she had four pockets of fluid they were able to drain the four pockets of fluid Uh, he said the swelling might come back. We're supposed to contact them, uh, if it did. Um, that was on Saturday. So Sunday, he's like, give us a call on Monday. Let us know how she's doing. Well, Sunday, uh, she was looking, she was looking pretty good Saturday night. Sunday morning, the bumps were, like, the pockets had filled back up with fluid again. Massive, uh, massive lumps on her head, um, Sunday afternoon. But then by Sunday night, as I was getting ready for church, like, you could tell, the pockets were going down like it was shrinking and I was like oh wow that was really fast that's really good because the vet didn't t- seem to think it was going to take a while uh, for this to recover and, uh, and we noticed that they were going down still we're going down after church Sunday night wake up Monday morning and little pepper still has the bumps on her head but now her face has just ballooned up like crazy huge face so now I'm like okay is she allergic to the antibiotics the vet has her on So she's back into the vet. Turns out that the fluid then was not just draining up, but was also draining down into her face. So now she's got, you know, the the face fluid going on, the head fluid going on. She had to get more fluid drained, and uh, it's just been a a, a process uh, pretty much all week long of contacting the vet, finding out what we're going to do. A lot of times what would happen in a case like this is they would just go in right away and do surgery and install a, a, a drain tube so that the fluid could drain uh, but uh, because of the location on her head and because she is a show puppy, um, they're trying to avoid surgery. It would be like a. Uh, it's not necessarily going to change how she feels. Um, she's still gonna feel that same amount of, of pain either way. So, so it's not really gonna affect how she feels. Um, it's, it's obviously better that if we can do a non invasive option which is just draining. They're literally just, they poke a hole and they just let that fluid drain out. Um, if we can do the non-invasive route, that was what our vet recommended because she's so little and because if she'd stall the tube, it would, she'd look like a dinosaur. You can Google it online. Look for a drain tube and dog hematoma. They like literally put this ginormous tube through their head and they look like a dinosaur because they got like a horn on the top of their head and it leaves a pretty uh, pretty nasty scar and it can deform other uh, heads and stuff, so we're, we opted not to go. Uh, our, our, our vet opted not to go that route right away, which I appreciated. Which a lot of people would just, have, all right, we're just going to do surgery and and get this thing dealt with. But so we've been we've been draining uh, these pockets, and she's doing great. Like she's she's such a little champ. Like she feels great. She runs around. She eats. She drinks. No fever. No no infection. Nothing like that. Um, so it's just an, an alternate route that we're that we're taking with her. But it's just so sad because her little head. It's so sad. It's so... Oh, her face is just so swollen and sad. But but she feels okay. Uh, at least for right now. So if you guys think about it, you can pray for my puppy. Uh, just really grateful at this point that we haven't had to do surgery and we've just been able to drain those pockets. But we still need to see that uh, see that fluid start to go away and stop accumulating so much. Um, surgery is not completely out of the question just yet, but we're, we're hoping that we'll be able to just continue going the route that we have been. All that to say... Um, I was thinking several times on Saturday. You know, I, I go into the vet, I'm thinking it's going to be a five-minute vet check for a bee sting, which then turned into a much more serious situation, and, you know, if the extraction had, or if the draining had led to pus, how she'd be heading to surgery right away, and and not knowing uh, what that would mean or how long that would require. You know, and, and I was a walking. I didn't have an appointment. Uh, there was only one vet working that day, and uh as as they took pepper back to to drain um to drain those those pockets and see what was going on and and you know they said depending on what the result of of the draining was they might have to go in and do surgery right away so I'm just you know I'm sitting in the waiting room not knowing what's going on as a walk in and as I was sitting there, I was thinking about all the people in the uh in the waiting room outside the the appointment rooms who actually had appointments and who were now waiting because of us. And their appointments had come and gone because of my pepper and the priority that my vet was placing on her. And I thought about how long they might have to keep waiting if she went right into surgery, and, and, and it got me thinking about, all the times that I've sat in that same vet's office or in a doctor's office or in a dentist's office waiting, sometimes half an hour, sometimes an hour or longer, past my scheduled appointment time, and I, I thought about how frustrated I'll get with these professions where it's somehow acceptable to not keep your appointments, and and then it realized, hit me like a ton of bricks, how messed up that thought process is. I mean, could things be run more quickly in some offices? Should there maybe be more buffers of time built into the scheduling process? I don't know, probably, but at the end of the day, if I'm sitting and waiting for an appointment, that means that I'm not the one with the emergency. And if I'm sitting and waiting for an appointment, there's a pretty good chance that someone else has or is having an emergency, that somebody else is, is choking back the tears and fighting against that sinking feeling in their stomach, and that rather than complaining about my appointment being delayed or being frustrated by that, how grateful I should be that I don't need to be seen right away. You know, that that, that I don't have that that situation that's, know, potentially life-threatening or, or limb-threatening or, or whatever else. And it just... It, it was a really sobering thought for me. Because, like, you, you know, right? You know you shouldn't complain about stuff. You're not supposed to give thanks in every situation. But you've been there. Where you're sitting waiting for an appointment at the doctor or the dentist or the vet or wherever. And it's been, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And you're like, why do I even bother making an appointment... But you know, I I realized that I was that person causing people in the waiting room to have to wait, and I was so grateful that one my vet was able to put them, you know, to to, to prioritize the emergency. But it just it was a sobering thought, you know, that the next time I'm waiting, I should be thankful. And not grumpy about it and then of course once we got home i now have a three-month-old puppy who's not supposed to rough, rough house or bump her head or exert too much energy and so on as a three-month-old puppy who lives for playing with her mom and her big sister and tears around the yard like a wild stallion set free from captivity every chance that she gets and poor Belle. i mean pepper pepper loves Belle. Belle and pepper are best buds pepper wants to do everything that Belle does Belle is my one-year-old golden and she, she loves her mom, Liberty, but she loves Belle. And Belle just adores Pepper. And she gets so upset when Pepper gets put away. So uh, she'll she'll whine in her cage when we put Pepper away. But Pepper, you know, when, when Belle won't play with her, when she wants to get Belle to play with her, she'll taunt her. She'll tug on her ears. She'll jump on her head. She'll pull on her tail. Uh, Belle has literally dragged Pepper across the floor with Pepper hanging under her tail because Pepper wants to play and Belle's uh, ready to be done playing. But... uh. So this is normal, just normal day-to-day activity for the two of them. And, and Pepper, of course, she gets home from the vet and continues the taunting of Belle and poor Belle. Uh, she, she goes to retaliate, and every time she goes to retaliate, it's like, no, Bell, no, Belle. Uh, because the little monster is for sure going to smash herself on the head again while it's healing, and, and they don't get it. They just want to play, and poor Belle is like, why can't I play with my best friend? Let me play with my best friend. But watching them since this injury has happened has just been so adorable. Pepper already thinks she can do everything that Belle does, right? So she she watches Belle. She learns from Belle. She mimics Belle. You know, they the big dogs, both of them. She does what they do. She does. They jump. She jumps. They sleep. She sleeps. They sleep. They sit. She sits. They run. She runs. It's it's uncanny. They form quite the little pack. But uh, the point I want to make by all this this is is this: as I've spent more than usual time watching Pepper lately, as in pretty much every minute that I'm home that the poor girl isn't confined to her cage which you know is her recovery room uh, I've been more and more impressed with the power of influence like my dogs have been showing me so much this week and I know it's might be silly to you but this is what this is what I, my life has been encompassed with is the vet and this puppy the past week and dealing with this so this is just things that I've been thinking about you know Liberty and Bell aren't trying to influence Pepper. Liberty, in particular, she isn't trying to influence Pepper. As her mom, she definitely trained her. You know, there are reasons that puppies stay with their moms until they're eight weeks old, and so on. Um, But even Belle, she isn't trying to influence Pepper. She didn't train Pepper at all. Belle's just her friend. She's her playmate. She's her buddy. But her influence over Pepper is unparalleled. And I can take Pepper aside with treats and toys and teach her to do something by a repetitive process over a series of days or weeks, or, you know, she'll just watch Belle do something and learn how to do it in a matter of moments. It is unbelievable. And I think in our lives, we have that same power oftentimes and don't even realize it. You don't have to be someone's parent or teacher to have a profound impact on someone else's life and what they do or the person they become. Your friends, even your acquaintances, are affected and affected, the A and the E, by what you do and the person that you are especially those that are younger than you, especially uh, children in particular. They're like little sponges just soaking up the world around them. And older siblings, this one is for you especially. If you're listening right now and you have little brothers or little sisters and sometimes you know they drive you crazy, but the fact of the matter is they think, and they, they will never tell you this until they're older and then they'll admit it, but right now they're not going to tell you this, but they think that you are just about, even though sometimes you really annoy them too, they still think that you're pretty much the coolest thing that ever happened to this world. And they are starving for your approval and your appreciation. And you can impact the world by just being a good example for your younger siblings and encouraging them to do right and obey your parents together and love Jesus. You know, In Matthew 18, uh, Jesus said that we're to receive little children. And that word receive is one of my favorite favorite verses in, in the Bible, because that word receive in Greek, it specifically is talking about accepting and loving as a friend, and even more specifically, receiving uh, as your own child, if you will, for the purposes of, of, of educating them and developing them as a person. And let me tell you, if you, befriend, uh, if you befriend kids, you instantly have influence in their lives. And the warning of offending a little one that Jesus gives, or, or some translations say cause to stumble... This one, this is huge. Jesus said, "Whosoever, uh, or Whoso uh, shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me or better for him than a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the midst of the sea. That phrase, the whoever offends, it doesn't necessarily mean, well, it does mean to offend or to trip someone up, but more specifically, and Greek has so much more specific that we miss out in our translations no matter how good they are, but, but Strong's defines that uh, offend as to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey, or to cause to fall away. So Jesus is saying, look, these little ones, they believe in me, and if you give them cause to distrust me or desert me or to fall away, If one of these children look at your life, and because of your life, they say, psh, that Jesus isn't real, this Christianity thing isn't real, that is the offense that Jesus is specifically talking about here. Your life causing someone else, specifically a child who once believed, to no longer believe, then it would be better for you to die a horrific death of drowning than for you to be the cause of a child abandoning the faith they once held. And that is heavy. But the good news is that Jesus didn't make this difficult. He basically said, look, treat the children like I treat them. Treat the kids like I treat them. Be their friend. And when you're their friend, that gives you the opportunity to invest in their life. And by investing in their life, you're helping them grow. That's what receiving the little children is. So don't waste the opportunities you have to influence the young people specifically that God has placed in your life. You You are daily, every day, exuding influence, whether you realize it or not and particularly if you have younger siblings or young people that you interact with on a daily basis, incredible opportunity, incredible responsibility there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up with this. Big brothers, big sisters, you are built-in best friends for your younger siblings. And you have a huge responsibility and an awesome privilege because your younger siblings are watching you like my pepper watches Belle. They want to be just like you. They want to be just like you. And they think you're pretty awesome and you have the power to influence their lives. Even if it's just by playing a game with them or baking cookies with them or, or just do something with them, show them what it is to do right. Show them what it is to honor and obey your parents because that's your main responsibility. Show them what it is to love Jesus. Use the influence you have. Your siblings want to be just like you. Your friends, if they hang out with you, they're going to be like you. It's just how friendships work. So, so make sure you're a good friend. Make sure you're a good example. Be a good example that other people can follow. And that applies to you no matter what age you are, whether you're a young person or not. But, but today specifically I wanted to talk uh, to those of you that have younger siblings that are maybe in grade school or junior high or high school. You have no idea. How much impact you have on the young people that are around you today. So make sure that your life is a good example of a Christian. And of what Jesus would want you to be. We're done. We're finished. I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to play a short bit of music for you. A short bit of music. And then... You'll be on your way. Coming up next will be Dr. David Tice with Living in Liberty. But you don't have to just hear Dr. Tice on the radio. You can hear him live and in person here at Liberty every Sunday morning, 9, 30, 11, 15, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock, Wednesday nights at 7. And Awana is back now, too. So fun times uh, and Awana as well. I forget what I was going to say next. Oh, if you can't be here in person for our services, you can always stream us online by visiting our website at experienceliberty.com or head on over to Facebook, like us there, and you can watch the live stream of our service on Facebook as well. And that's it. All done. I'm going to stop talking officially now. Uh, My family talk? Dr. James Jobson coming up for just a moment, and then it will be Dr. David Tice, our very own, with Living in Liberty. Have a great day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow, same time, same place, on KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas.